If you were here last week, we were looking at the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. And um, we're going to be in John's Gospel this morning, in um, John chapter 12. And the anointing at Bethany in John's Gospel comes just before Palm Sunday. Now, on Palm Sunday, you know, we've been singing these words, haven't we? Hosanna, which basically means salvation now. So that's, if you like, the backdrop to what the crowd are singing on Palm Sunday. Yet within a few days, Jesus will be on Calvary, hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. And I think we've got questions that we need to keep asking ourselves this week. What happened? What happened in those days? And where are we, if you like, in the crowd this morning? So if you've got your Bibles there, if you've got a church Bible, we're on page 1019, John chapter 12. I'll read from verse 12 through to verse 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Lord, we long for those words at the end of that passage to become a reality in Lim. That the whole world has gone after you. Lord, I want to pray for us in, in our own lives that we would go after you. That we would seek you. That as we've talked about prayer already this morning, that we'd be compassionate about seeking your face. Lord, help us not to be the kind of people who shout Hosanna one day and then melt into the background the next. So Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's arriving in the city and... John's Gospel is brief compared to the other Gospels in the way he tells this account. There's no great detail about the donkey, but rather what we get is John sort of unfolding the prophetic drama. You know, the prophecies are coming in as to what Jesus is fulfilling, what the purpose of all this is. And the crowds are there in Jerusalem. Crowds are there for the Passover. Now, when we're talking about crowds in this context, we really are talking about a lot of people. Most guesses that there'd be about a quarter of a million people in Jerusalem at this point. So it's busy. You know, it's Manchester-type busy. You're not talking about, you know, market day in Lim. This is Manchester-type busy. And quite often at Passover, this would cause tensions between the Romans who occupied the city and the Jews. Loads of times during Passover, trouble used to sort of boil over. And so the people grab their palm branches. Remember this? They were probably slightly bigger than Richard's um, abuse of his houseplants. <laughs> and they were potent symbols. This doesn't look like a very potent symbol. 
But actually what they meant was they were, they were taking palm branches because they were symbols of victory. They were symbols of well-being. They were symbols of goodness. And that's why the ancient world used them. If you go back into the Old Testament, just one verse from 1 Kings 6, verse 29, we see the temple that Solomon built was covered in palms. Just listen to this. On the walls all around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. So you see palms there, highly significant. So here the crowd are, with their potent symbols, bringing them before Jesus as he arrives in the city. And they start shouting praise. Why does the crowd behave like this? Is it just that Jesus is the celebrity of the moment? I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where somebody important arrives and everywhere gets to a standstill. I read somewhere a couple of years ago that in New York, they reckon there are only two people on the planet who can bring New York to a standstill. They're not singers, they're not um, politicians. Any, any ideas who they are? The Pope? No, not the President? The Queen. Two people who will bring New York to a standstill. It's funny that the Queen does, but the President doesn't. Two greatest celebrities, possibly, on the planet. But actually, there's a lot more going on here than just Jesus is a celebrity. He's not just the latest thing. Because what Jesus is doing here feeds into the kind of expectations that a lot of people in the crowd would have had. In first century Jewish thinking, there is this idea that a Messiah is coming. That somebody who will bring salvation, but not in the way Jesus is going to do it, but rather salvation from the Romans, is going to be a political Messiah, somebody who will free them, that that kind of person is going to appear. And you can check this out. You Go and Google it this afternoon. You know, go on Wikipedia. You can see the list of people who thought they were the Messiah in the first century. There's quite a long list. People who thought, I'm the one who's going to free Israel. We don't remember any of them. Because none of them came to anything. But the Jews at the time, they may also have been thinking back in their own history to a couple of centuries earlier, where a man named Judas Maccabeus, I don't know if you've heard of him, he rode into Jerusalem. He was a Jew and he rode in on a white horse, having defeated the Greek Empire of the day. And he brought about some freedom. But he wasn't the Messiah. And in the end, it all fizzled out. And now here comes Jesus. They all know that he's raised Lazarus from the dead. All the crowd will have heard that he's a teacher, he's a prophet, he's a miracle worker. And the crowd is going crazy. Can I say, you weren't really going crazy when we were singing Hosanna this morning. I think the crowd was a bit more enthusiastic than perhaps we managed to get. (laughs) What were they shouting? Hosanna! Salvation now, that kind of demand that God will do something. Salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quotation from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. So far, that's not actually that controversial. But look at the next one, they shout. Blessed is the king of Israel. Big problem here. There's already a king of Israel at this time. He's a puppet king. There's one of the Herods on the throne. He's not much use, but he's there. He's a puppet of the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor thinks he's God and thinks he should be worshipped. He's not going to say it very kindly to people saying this person is king. But the expectation of the crowd is most likely that here comes Jesus, who would be a Messiah, a political hero, who would bring salvation from the Romans. And he rides in, If only he would ride in as the conquering king. The crowd is big enough not just to create a riot, 
but to start an army and to kick the Romans out. So you see the site of tension, the nationalistic tension is brewing over here. You're going to have to humor me for a moment because I'm going to talk about Christmas. First day of spring is perhaps not the day you want to start thinking about Christmas. But if I mention Christmas dinner this morning, I'm guessing you're going to be thinking of that. Does that look nice? Turkey, sausages, carrots, sprouts blurred in the distance where they should be, (laughs) potatoes. But that's the kind of thing when we talk about Christmas dinner that we may start thinking about. I guess you're not thinking about this. Just watch the screen for a moment. Christmas dinner in a tin? Is that a joke? No, this is a joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's Christmas dinner by game. They're going to be rolling it out for the whole of the UK. But I've managed to get hold of a tin. And today, I'm going to be reviewing this tin of Christmas dinner. Now, it's got nine layers. Nine layers. Scrambled egg and bacon for breakfast. Then you go on to a couple of mince pies. uh, Turkey and... I think you probably had enough of that, haven't you? There you go, you can see the makeup of this beautiful tin of Christmas dinner. That is made, um, it was made a couple of years ago by Game, you know, you know the shop that sells PSPs and Xboxes and things? And it was made for people who were so obsessed with gaming that they couldn't be bothered to either cook a Christmas dinner or even put something in the microwave or go out and order something. So you get it all in a tin. I was desperately trying to get one online so I could open it this morning and try it, but... It's sold out everywhere. (laughs) I wonder why. Expectations, though, are funny things, aren't they? When I was talking about Christmas dinner, you were not thinking of that. And you're probably hoping you never think about that ever again. (laughs) Verse 14. Jesus arrives on a donkey. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written. Zechariah 9, verse 9 is where it's quoted from. Do not be afraid... O daughter of Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. There is nothing particularly royal or splendid about these type of creatures. There is nothing majestic about the donkey that walks up and down Blackpool Beach. Eeyore is not a figure of great majesty. There is nothing kingly or royal. You know, if I was in the crowd on Palm Sunday, there'd be part of me who'd be thinking, okay, everything else seems to fit. You know, Jesus is here, he's done amazing things, but what about the donkey? Is this some kind of joke? What's it all about? And John tells us that the disciples didn't get it either. They didn't understand what it was all about. Has anybody here got the prophecies of Zechariah memorized? No? No, I haven't. You see, sometimes we read the scripture and we think, well, why didn't they click? Why didn't it click to them? They just probably wouldn't have remembered these words. It wasn't until afterwards when they started to piece together what had happened that they actually saw that they were involved in fulfilling prophecy. Jesus will be king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But not in the way this crowd would expect. Not in the way they were thinking. Do not be afraid the prophet said. 
You know, that command, do not be afraid, comes so many times in Scripture, doesn't it? Hundreds, literally hundreds of times. It appears around Christmas. Sorry to bring Christmas back in again. You know, when the, the angelic visitations come, do not be afraid. And here it is again on Palm Sunday. Do not be afraid. Why shouldn't the crowd be afraid? Just think for a moment. You're in Jerusalem. Nationalism is at fever pitch. This huge crowd is here. What is Jesus going to do? Is he going to start a war? You know, wars are scary things. Wars are devastating things. They're not exciting. They're things to be feared when human beings take up arms against one another. A couple of decades after this event happened, actually a few decades after, in AD 70, the Jews did revolt against Rome. And the historians of the time will tell us that actually Jerusalem was a foot deep in blood as the Romans marched in and slaughtered everybody. But Jesus comes in with a kingship that is different to that. He rides as the king of peace on the back of a donkey. There is nothing physical to fear here. There is nothing physical to fear in the kingship of Jesus. The titles are correct, but he's going to be kings of our hearts and of our lives. It says in Isaiah 2, verse 4, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, rides humbly on a donkey. The crowd are going mad, the crowd are going wild, and he comes to claim kingship, but not the kind of kingship they're expecting. And as we'll see in a moment, his kingship will not just extend to our hearts, but it's a universal kingship. It's a cosmic kingship. What's your expectation of Jesus today? Who do you think Jesus is? I wonder if you expect Jesus to ride into your own life, to march in, to sort of sort everything out for you, to make all your illness go away, or whether it's your your problems in your life, who will repair broken hearts and give us health, wealth, and happiness. You know, that isn't the Jesus of the New Testament. Or perhaps you've sold yourself out to a kind of self-help guru version of Jesus. You know, the Jesus who we pray to, whether we want a parking space or whether we want something slightly more significant. And the Jesus who seems to just direct every little bit of our lives. That actually isn't the view of Jesus that we find in the Bible. Or perhaps we've abandoned the kingship of Jesus altogether and we just view Jesus as somebody who sort of loves us with a fluffy kind of cuddly love. And, and loves us even with those sins that perhaps we, we nurture and we, we keep sort of in our lives. But we don't think he loves us enough to transform us. Now, I look at sometimes at my view of Jesus, and it isn't the same as the Jesus we find in Scripture. Because it is so easy to do what the crowd did on, on Palm Sunday and try and make Jesus fit our image of who we think he should be. Rather than actually opening our Bibles and saying, Jesus, reveal to us exactly who you are. But you see, Jesus coming in on the donkey on Palm Sunday is not the only time we find Jesus riding a member of the horse family. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, just turn to Revelation chapter 19. It's going to read from verse 11 down to verse 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... 
And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. This is the risen, exalted Christ. The Word made flesh. The one who makes war against the rebellious powers of this world and against the powers of darkness. He is already King of Kings. He doesn't do it to extend his titles, but he does it to bring us freedom. One writer puts it like this. He makes war not out of any insecurity or craving for power. What power could he gain that he does not already have? He makes war simply in order to set us free. And that's where we see the link. You know, the Jesus who rides in on Palm Sunday is the Jesus who will go to Calvary and will set us free from sin. The Jesus on the white horse in Revelation is the one who is about to encounter in the final battle of the book the powers of darkness and bring victory and bring freedom. You know, I grew up at a time, I'm showing my age now, where it was um, quite popular to frame the gospel against the backdrop of God's judgment. I'm sure many of us probably remember when that was quite a popular thing to do. And so everything about Jesus was framed against the coming judgment of God and how somehow we had to, we had to flee from that. Now, when we hear the gospel proclaimed, often it's proclaimed against the love of God. But you know, the Jesus of Scripture doesn't give us an either-or. It's the both-and. Jesus is the one who is on the donkey, who comes in humility and peace. He's also the rider on the white horse who brings victory against the powers of darkness. He's the conqueror of sin and death and Satan. And so when we think of Jesus, we can't fit him into our own little boxes because he won't sit there. We have to open our Bibles and we have to have our view of him expanded so much. You know, people sometimes ask me, what do you do? Do you get asked that question, what do you do? And if I say, oh, I'm, I'm a minister, that explains a certain part of what I do. But it's only one bit of it. I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm also a son. I'm an uncle and a nephew. I'm a musician. I'm a gardener. I'm a car driver. As of Monday, I'm a first aider. That was an exciting day. All these different things. And if you want to get a full image of who I am as a person, we're all exactly the same. It's very complex and it's very detailed. And it won't be managed by just small expectations. You know, sometimes I think we squeeze Jesus so much we fail to realize actually who he is and who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who rides into our lives and claims lordship who actually we're talking about. You know, the crowds don't understand who Jesus is on, Good, on Palm Sunday. Their views of him fit their agendas, not his, and their expectations are all wrong. 
There's a hymn that um, sometimes we sing at this time of year. It's a really beautiful hymn called My Song is Little Known. I don't know if you, if you know it. And in it, um, the writer of it makes a link. And he says something like, at one breath, the crowd is shouting, Hosanna. And on the next breath, the same crowd is shouting, crucify. There's a problem there. That's not actually what the Gospels say. They don't make any link between the crowd that is on Palm Sunday and the crowd that is shouting, crucify. They could well be different crowds of people. But what we can say about this crowd on Palm Sunday is that they start to melt away through the week. As this week unfolds, as the drama that leads to the cross unfolds, these people who are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel, they just melt away. They disappear into the background. Even Peter, who said, I will be with you always, what does he end up doing? He denies Jesus three times. Even he doesn't stick at it. I wonder what the greatest enemy of us really submitting to the Lordship of Christ is. Is it that on one breath we're shouting Hosanna, in the next breath we're shouting crucify? Or is it actually with one breath we're shouting Hosanna, and then we're living out of some kind of apathetic life? We just melt into the background. They've got all the wrong expectations of Jesus. And because of that, everything unfolds. It was my birthday a week last Friday, and I had a, a really nice day. And um, on the Saturday morning after my birthday, we, we got pushed through our door. You know one of those items that says, um, we tried to deliver something, but the postage hadn't been paid on it? You're thinking, great, that's fantastic, isn't it? Um, but Claire had ordered me a present online that hadn't arrived. So Claire's thinking, oh no, she'd done something wrong, or Amazon or wherever it was had put the wrong postage on it. So her and Timothy went down to Altrincham Post Office to try and pick this item up, thinking it would be something exciting. She got there. This was the envelope that was actually there. So she rung me up and said, are you expecting any more cards from anybody? I said, well, not really. I've got cards from everybody who normally sends me a card. So she said, oh, I'll leave it. Anyway, Thursday this week, for some own unknown reason, it gets posted to us. So I'm looking at this card. I'm thinking, no idea who it's from. No postmark on it, nothing. So I'll read it to you. If you've got a good memory, I've mentioned who this card is from before. Mr. Bramwell, it says, hope your birthday rocks. Happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. From Wendy, RBS, Scunthorpe. <laughs> all that expectation, all that anticipation, and it's from a woman, I have no idea who she is, who keeps sending me cards from a bank that I once had a, a conversation with somebody in, in Scunthorpe. You see, expectations are funny things, aren't they? If we get our expectation of what Jesus will do in our life wrong, it becomes very difficult to follow him. If our thinking about who Jesus is gets skewed, we can end up feeling either disappointed or not quite knowing where to turn, or all of those kind of things. The crowds had got the wrong expectation. By Good Friday, because they've got the wrong expectation, where do they end up? They end up at a place where all their hope has gone. Whereas actually, what will Jesus do? What will Jesus do? Had Jesus let them down? Absolutely not. He was just doing something that would blow their minds. Something far more significant than they were thinking of. They were thinking just of here and now and a political solution. Jesus is going to bring salvation 
Jesus is going to bring freedom from sin. Jesus is going to open eternal life to people. You know, as we approach Easter this year, I just want to ask you, who is the Jesus that you're following? Is he the one that you find in your Bible? Or are you part of the Palm Sunday crowd and your expectations of him are wrong? There's only one way of getting those things straightened out, and that is to get in the Word of God. That is to start reading, absorbing, thinking about who it is we're following. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who takes our sin. He is the one who calls us to follow. He is the one who offers us grace and welcomes us into God's family. He is the one who offers us mercy and forgiveness with no strings attached. But he's also the one who calls us to holiness and to righteousness and to a life of transformation. He is the one who will come and judge the living and the dead. Let's not box Jesus in this Easter. Let's not try and squeeze him into something of our own expectation. Just look at all those different names. Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, the Resurrection, the Word, Prince of Peace, Lion of Judah, Counselor, Living Water. There are many more we could put on there. If we want to know who Jesus is, we have to have that biggest picture. So I want to leave you with two questions. Then we're just going to spend a few moments in quiet before we come and we sing and then take communion. Who is the Jesus that you're following today? Is he a convenient Jesus? One that you've molded in your own image? One that you've got the expectations of wrong? Or is the full Christ that the Bible tells us about? So who is the Jesus that you're following? And secondly, as Jesus marched into Jerusalem, as the crowd proclaimed his kingship, Will you you reaffirm Jesus as Lord of your heart today? Or perhaps do that for the first time. There is one riding into our lives who claims lordship. And his name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. Just spend some moments in quiet as we just think about that. first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Lord, I pray for for us today. Would we have that same kind of moment with you this morning? Where perhaps just something in our minds changes and we see a fresh revelation of who you are. Lord, I want to pray that as this week unfolds, as we hear the the familiar accounts of Easter explained and talked about, Lord, that you would do something fresh in us. So, Lord, as we come in a few moments and take bread and wine, as we remember what you have done, We come with thankful hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen.